never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my steps of sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for an interview. And today we've got a topic that is actually quite close to my heart, or shall I say cl quite close to my my tummy. Um, we've got Rachel Levin here. Rachel uh, is the author of the Donut Diaries. When I saw, saw the Donut Diaries, I thought, hmm, that's an interesting book. I need to read that. And I'm glad I did because uh, Rachel... Uh, has written uh, no holds barred, open, warts and all um, memory, so to speak, of her last decades of finding out who the real Rachel is and dealing with a lot of issues such as body shaming, such as um, being non-conforming in a in a society and in a uh, work area where looks are often everything that defines you and it's just so bizarre so rachel i'm so grateful that you're here let's actually pull pull the blanket away from that from from the truth and and let's have a look underneath there and explore welcome to my show Thank you so much, Dr. Steven. I'm really, really looking forward to this. <laughs> Let's do it, Stefan. Uh, the Dr. Steven, no, 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 we don't do that. Um, so, hey, Rachel, I mean, it, it is, it is, I read your book and it is so amazing because really your whole story, as so many stories, started very early in your childhood and that's something that so few of us actually do recognize so maybe we need to go there when was the first time uh, that really you realized that your mind was really focused on how you look rather than anything else I was very aware of how different my body was than most girls starting in the fifth grade I talk about this a lot. You know, I developed very early. I started my period in the fifth grade. So I was already experiencing all these womanly things when I was still a kid. Hmm. And I just remember thinking all the time, my body is so different than other girls and feeling like I had to hide that and not express that and be shameful about that. Hmm. And was your mom equally early developed and well-developed? Um, did she go through something similar and was she able to guide you? That is a very interesting question. And the answer is simply no. My mom was not comfortable in that space. And although we did talk about bras and we talked about how to deal with your period, it was never an open book type of conversation. I didn't feel that that was something that I could trust with her. Interesting, interesting. And that is about the intergenerational guidance or lack of guidance sometimes contributes not only to our own own experiences but also their insecurities are modeled down so there you were you you had uh, an, an interesting start how did that manifest itself so whilst you felt uncomfortable in your body 
did you try to hide did you try to to hide your body or or did you from the word go try to mod modify your body in the sense of try to change your eating try to to do whatever you thought at the time would reduce the pain of feeling left out and feeling feeling different Yes, there's a lot of questions in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I would say that although I was hyper aware of my changing body and my different body, dieting did not become a part of my everyday life until a little later. Hmm. And I will say that I was fortunate enough to grow up being able to try any sports I wanted hmm. and to be active my whole life. So I know that I grew up in that environment and I've always felt strong. I've always felt capable in that way. And I've always felt like my body was special, that I could do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. What uh, tempted you first? Which sport? Which you said the, a lot of things you love to do. There's one that stands out. Who were you uh, deep in your heart? I was a ice skater for many years and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Okay. I mean, that is, uh, how did that come about? I mean, there, there are lots and lots of, of, of possibilities. Ice skating is quite rare in Germany. It's quite, it's quite common actually, because we've got ice skating rings left, right and center. Uh, was it the same in your area? It was. We actually had an ice rink, many um, ice rinks where I grew up in Northern California. Uh -huh. And I remember going to a friend's birthday party at the ice skating rink. And you uh -huh. couldn't, after that, you couldn't get me off the ice. I loved it. <laughs> it was it was such a wonderful way to express myself. It made me feel graceful. It made me feel beautiful. And it made me feel athletic. I, there was nothing I didn't love about ice skating. Beautiful. Did you train in it? There were the were the courses that you could do, and was there um, a a way, a structured way for it? Oh yeah, my mom and dad will tell you they would get up at five in the morning twice oh, wow. a week and get me to the rink by six in the morning, where I would train for an hour and a half before school, and oh, wow. then I would come back after school. I did many many local competitions. But that's where things started to really kind of go awry for me. And when high school started, I had to let it go. It was just, it was too much to try to feel a part of social, social world, to have girlfriends, to have school, to have a boyfriend. It just, it, I, that was the one thing that got cut loose. Did you replace it with something else? Because I know your sport permeates your life. Um, how did that come about? So, God, how do I answer that? <laughs> there is a part of me that there's like, you know, kind of a fog. Because I remember quitting ice skating and then I got into dancing and doing jazzercise. But there was definitely a lull there. And there was a time of where there wasn't any structure in my life. Oh, well, that's what you call late teens, early 20s. When, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, <laughs> you're all over the show. <laughs> okay, no, that's that's not a fair call. So 
here you were basically a woman uh and growing up early having to, oh well at least bodily um you then had started to get to to become social uh going out there enjoying your life um i know that that from the word go you had you had often you you did different diets you did different different steps took many steps to conform to other people's expectations and maybe the pictures that you see in in advertisements in in the, the kind of of crappy uh how shall i say that the socially engineered uh saccharine sweet coca-cola advertisement where everyone is good looking slim and if you just drink that coke then women will come like moths to the flame and it's that subconscious fucking programming my god but we uh, you know it was 80s 90s uh to early 2000s for you and it is it's ongoing it's now just as much and you were sucked in there big time because you never felt right in yourself wasn't it oh yeah yeah there's all the diets you just mentioned i'm sure i've tried them mm. and i talk about it with people in my life now all those diets were the same back then they're just rebranded and and trying to make you think it's a healthy lifestyle now but trust me you are not doing anything i did not do in the 80s and 90s it's the same thing okay? so, no you're so right you're so right this is so easy uh to to well, no, let's rephrase that. It's actually quite difficult to know what is right, because again, we are being socially engineered. Uh, people who want to make money out of us will give us some kind of little bits of, of information um, that sort of sound good, and they're actually scientifically valid, yet they are squeezed and changed so that they fit their agenda and that they can sell more. Uh, I wrote my steps to sobriety, there um and in there <laughs> there is a chapter um where i exactly go into that and if you look into sort of men's health or women's health etc you will find everything about alcohol oh yeah um have a drink after your workout because guinness is good for you um and all kind of little tit tats you know are uh, have wine because it's healthy for you as a part of the mediterranean diet all that and it's basically oh god lies 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 and nuggets of truth in there um if you happen to be either a mouse uh and we look at you at a, at a cellular level then some things are actually true um or uh indeed very select information is being put out so you're right when it comes to the to the diets my goodness um Having said that, they were actually quite successful, those diets, because you were yo-yo. You went, how did that yeah. go? Well, I love to tell people absolutely every diet in the entire world works mm. until it doesn't. And so I think then if we started to understand how our bodies work and to start trusting our bodies, we could finally dismantle the diet industry. Mm. But until you stop believing that thin equals happy and this product will give you everything that you want and start to re realize how smart our bodies are and how we 
don't have to tell ourselves when to eat, drink, sleep, go to the bathroom. Our bodies know. So the more we trust our bodies, then we can return to homeostasis, which means, and I'm sure your listeners do too, that there is a calmness to your body. Your body doesn't fluctuate by losing and gaining, losing and gaining. And you're only doing yourself a disservice by putting your body through that. Mm. So by dieting, I still, after all those years, am trying to get my body to regulate back to homeostasis. I still have a problem um, sometimes with my digestion, sometimes with losing weight, sometimes with gaining muscle because of all the things that I've done to it my whole life. That is a very interesting point because you are pointing towards the health of your gut, which we nowadays know is the is the key ingredient, regardless of where your problems are in your body. Nowadays, a functional medicine specialist will will start with the gut um, because that is often enough where uh, many of the problems have arisen and where there's an ongoing battle of good and bad on a daily basis. And at the moment, the baddies are, are winning. So that's interesting that you highlight that to me. Um, you you mentioned the different diets and that they all work. Um, what was the lowest weight that you got down? I am about 38 years old, was a size zero, and that was about 122 pounds for me. And I will be 1,000% honest with you and your listeners, that lasted for about six weeks. And my body was like, no. No. This is is it your body saying no? Or was it your soul? Or was it your gut? Ooh, all the above. <laughs> Why were you eating? What did food actually give you? Apart from nourishment. Right. That was a very interesting time in my life because for the longest time I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to cook until I was about 38 years old. So when my body was getting all these home-cooked whole foods, it responded like my body has never responded on any diet in my life. Uh -huh. My hair was growing. My skin was beautiful. <laughs> you know, I had energy. I, I mean, everything about me was yeah. glowing because I wasn't eating a high process or a high sodium diet anymore. And so that has become my lifestyle just because i rachel feel so much better when i eat my own cooking and and does that mean i never go out to dinner of course not but i cook at home six to seven nights a week every week uh -huh. I know I lost my train of thought with your question, but no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. That's exactly essentially where we want to go with all of us. We all need to create new habits. And the sooner we learn about the importance of looking after those things that go directly into our body, which then really become us. 
if you want to become highly processed uh, sweet <laughs> shit then yeah that's uh, the typical standard american diet will exactly do that and when i say standard american diet the americans had a bit of a hard hard take there because you modeled that but new zealand is just as bad um the the um, uh, england most of europe no please let's let's not not just beat the americans um australians are just as bad okay so let's be clear about that um i think the point is you wrote in your book beautifully one scene where you were essentially not eating the whole day thinking really good and it's something i called it the bridget jones diary um uh, the bridget jones diet uh, where you have in the morning uh, nothing, uh, then a salad leaf for lunch, and in the evening you have the five kilogram tub of ice cream and everything else to, from one side of the kitchen to the other side of the kitchen. You described that beautifully. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> what? Why did you eat in the evening, and what did it do to your soul? I would be miserable and cranky all day. I would just punish myself and punish myself because I felt like I had to do this mm. to stay. I lost the weight because I stopped eating so much. And then I kept the weight off because I didn't eat that much. But I wasn't nourishing my body. I wasn't nourishing my brain. And I was in college at the time and I had to do a lot of thinking. So I don't, and you know, now that we're putting two and two together, that's probably why it took me so long to graduate because I just couldn't focus. And that's because I was torturing myself. And by the time I got home from school and got home from work, I was so famished mm. that my stomach was in knots. And I literally felt like it was an empty vessel at that point. And I could just put the whole refrigerator mm. in my mouth. And instead of it dawning on me that, hey, I need to just <laughs> eat a couple of times a day and be mm. a happy person. It took me years to break that habit. Mm. And that's the important bit. And that's the difference between intermittent fasting and eating to a really bad schedule. Um, in theory, the hours should be more or less the same. In practice, there's a huge difference. Um, in all fairness, um, the, if you look at the Mediterranean food plan, basically that which is again and again the, the best uh, way how to nourish yourself over your lifetime. If you look at really what the Mediterranean food plan is all about there's very healthy home-cooked food with good ingredients all beautiful nice um but what no one really talks about is that in in the mediterranean setting you don't eat three full meals or five full meals all day long there are actually times when longer times when your body fasts um, and where your body essentially heals and, and works in a different way compared with the moment when you actually put food in there. Um, we know, for example, that your colon, um, the, the, the end part, the big end of your gut, um, every 90 minutes runs a cleansing kind of peristalsis sort of a movement through um, that immediately gets stopped when you put food in your mouth. 
Um, so therefore, there is, for example, that that simple fact is there. So there's some there's a big difference between um, having some time when you don't eat and then replenish yourself with really beautiful home cooked meals as you do nowadays, compared with uh, not eating and then eating shit. So I think that is the difference that many people forget. And so it's beautifully that you that you actually point that out to your inability to cook. And that's regrettably, that's still something that is out there, so much out there. Now, in all fairness, you were in New York City, weren't you, uh, for much of the time, wasn't it? Or was it, was it where were you? When I went to college, I was living in Portland, Oregon, which is right. the Northwest. Yeah. And then after graduating college, I moved to New York. That's right. And you lived in New York in a small uh, apartment, basically, where you don't really, you don't have a big kitchen to cook. Um, so let's give you a bit of, of a defense here, man. I mean, yes. So <laughs> not necessarily the lifestyle that is conclusive to to developing those skills. Um, so, but then again. But I'll tell you that New York City was the place that I learned how to cook. So you can cook in 400 square feet or you can cook in 1500 square feet. I love it. I love it. So true. So true. And it's a habit. It's like one of those habits that we need to reintroduce in lives. And if I, I was in power, the very first thing I would do for anyone on the dole, anyone on, the, on any uh, government subsidies, uh, mandatory cooking lessons, mandatory gardening lessons, um, um, to actually bring those skills back um, to allow people to take action. And with taking action, uh, restore their gut health, restore their proper health. And therefore, they are so much better in themselves, the lights go on, and then their body comes up with solutions, how to maybe live a better life and get out of the, the subsidies get out of the 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 maybe not so nice situations that we all find ourselves in over the course of our lifetime so nutrition mm -hmm. is one of those things but so yes we know we both we, we both are preaching to the converted for crying out loud um but here you are this you were uh, you became not just interested in sport this was not just a pastime this actually became your life you became a personal trainer didn't you I did, yes. Different story when suddenly your money uh, is uh, coming through a certain image because that is what you have been told again and again. Um, you need to look like a trainer. <laughs> How did that go? Um, hmm. There were many times throughout my career that you, like you mentioned, I was told that I didn't have the right body to be in the fitness industry. And because I didn't love myself, because I didn't love Rachel, and I didn't have the self-confidence and the self-awareness that I have now, I took it very personally. Mm -hmm. And I found myself punishing myself even more. And there was, and I'm, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but there was a catalyst uh, for me in New York City when I was working at a gym I don't know if do you want to go into mm, that. Story? Please, yes, very much so. So I was at the biggest I had was ever at that point. I was 175 pounds. My fitness manager at that point said, Hey, we're doing a 90-day challenge. We would love for you to be a part of that. And what you have to do is you have to work out with one of the trainers. 
you have to post every single thing that you eat every day for 90 days. So me already, who is always trying to hide and always trying to stay under the radar is now being front and center. So super uncomfortable. But luckily the trainer that I worked with got results. And so we coupled with my learning how to cook, learning how to do this, learning how to take care of myself and working out on a consistent basis in 90 days. No, no, let me take that back. In six months, I had dropped 50 pounds. Nice. That's what by zero. So it was a very interesting time in my life because here I am. You would think from the outside looking in that I had reached all my goals. I was this beautiful, skinny woman, and I should just be so, so happy. I was miserable because I knew that I could not sustain that. I knew that that is not who I really was supposed to be. And all the attention that I was getting about being a skinny bitch, as people like to call me, that didn't feel right. And that didn't feel like my body should be on display, regardless of the circumstances. (laughs) Oh, now you are answering with many answers and raising many questions there. I don't even know where to go now. Um, Because you could say, on the one hand, that actually, devil's advocate, this was the way you were supposed to be. But you were insecure. You didn't like the attention. There was still a little girl in there, which maybe was intrinsically shy and didn't want to come out. Devil's advocate. Uh, I'm not saying that this is true, but is that part of the story? Was there an ongoing insecurity there? And oh, you... of course, of course, there is no doubt that that was part of it for me, for sure. Yeah. But now that I've had over a decade to reflect back on that time. I can say with much more certainty yeah. that even if I had the confidence then that I do now, I know that my feeling, my gut feeling about that would still be the same. Brilliant. Brilliant. And that's really important because I had previously, I had a guest who was um, unfortunately severely sexually abused over a long period of time. And she one day realized that if she is not good looking, um, that maybe she will not get the awful attention that she had. So she actually put on, uh, she went to 200 kilogram, uh, about uh, well, no, 200 kilogram would be wrong. She would be, she would breach the 300 pound mark um, to be ugly, to mm-hmm. not be attractive to anyone. So mm-hmm. was there some, part of you in a similar way and you have already answered that you really say no you really think that there is a um like a thermostat in your body where you feel hey this is where my body is at zen at nice calm and that mm-hmm. is where you feel now where you feel happy that is really yes. the, the, the 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 nugget of truth there isn't it it is is and but I will you know just to touch on what you said I think women uh who have been over sexualized for as long as I've been alive that putting on weight like that is is that is a very real thing mm. 
So I never want to discount the way that someone feels about them and how they protect themselves. Mm. But that's not my story. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Um, brilliant. That having said that, whilst I 100% agree with everything you've said, and I'm so pleased for you that you're at peace with your body image, with yourself, there is still that medical side of of being a larger person, the bit of a higher risk of diabetes, the bit of a higher risk of high blood pressure, um, a thing called cardiometabolic syndrome, where there's an ongoing inflammation happening within our bodies. Now, in all fairness, that is often fueled by the crap that we are eating. Um, but in its own right, obesity, um, being a bigger person, um, has that risk. Um, have you looked at your own health there? Where are you at uh, as far as your, your family physician is concerned, your GP is concerned? I hear everything you're saying, but I want to dispel right now that being in a bigger body does not equate disease. And I know the argument can be said that someone in a very, very small body can be just as unhealthy. Well, so absolutely. that's why I tell, I tell people it's not what is going on outside. It's your blood work. It's your test results. It's the how you're feeling. Hmm. Are you sick all the time? Are you tired all the time? Like we need to pay attention to those things. Absolutely. But I want to be super clear that with my mission and with my message, am I in no way, shape or form wanting you to not move your body. I think that that has so much value in everybody's life. And if we can get everyone moving, then we might start to see the obesity start to go on the backside. But we have to deal with what's in front of us right now, right? Mm, exactly. No, you're so right. You're so, so, so right. And it is, uh, we often enough people who focus on nutrition, uh, they only focus on nutrition and they completely disregard the exercise. Oh yeah, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow I will, I will, I will do something. Whilst in reality, um, it is so important. These are equal parts that need to be addressed. And there are enough studies out there to show you exactly the benefits of exercise, of, of using your body. And with that, we don't mean that you enroll now in a, in an ultra endurance event, uh, in, in a month's time, <laughs> especially when you're on the wrong side of 40, um, or in my case the wrong side of 50 um or the right side of 50 maybe i should say um then um you sorry don't do it um i i i still think i'm 25 and i behave like that in competitions and then i pay the price for it <laughs> so so be stupid here okay guys take it from me take it take it from my aches and pains here and there that are self-inflicted because i've overdone it in exercise Okay, so so let's be clear. But these are so important. Having said that, um, does everyone need to be in the gym at six o'clock in the morning doing a spin class on and and uh, dripping? Or how do you approach a person who says, "Yeah, it's all quite nice, but I could barely time to to look after myself. I've got two jobs, three kids, no husband." Um, fuck off basically <laughs> as if i had time to exercise 
Oh yeah. Trust me. I have heard it all. I have seen it all. <laughs> so my approach is much gentler. I'm definitely not that kind of trainer and or coach that says you do it my way or you get to the highway because everybody's life is different and mm. I meet you where you're at. And I love to tell people that there is a plethora of types of exercise that you can do. It doesn't mean, you know, that beautiful example that you just gave at a 6 a.m. spin class. I would rather do anything else than do that. So if I feel that way, then for sure other people feel that way. So it's my job to expose you to as many things to move your body as possible. And I also recommend that you try everything because not the first thing that you try or even the fifth thing that you try is going to stick or resonate with you. Mm. It's important that you find an exercise that you enjoy. Indeed. Um, that is the exercises that, that you think about as exercise. But the interesting thing is that if you look at at all that being your energy expenditure, then it's all exercises only about 5% up there. Um, 70% down there is your basic metabolic rate. And you can do that. Mm -hmm. You can, uh, you can change things there quite a bit, but that's beyond what we're doing talking today. But then you've got so 70% basic metabolic rate, and then you have got that rest in between the 25%. That's your daily life. Um, and we keep forgetting that you can actually do so much in your daily life. Mm -hmm. give us some example if someone says oh i can't get to the gym i can't do i just don't find the time how else can you increase your 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 exercise levels so to speak over the day what would you suggest i would suggest to remind them of the like what you said was beautiful the things that we have to do in our daily life right we have to squat down to pick up that kid uh -huh. we have to do a shoulder press to get the pasta out of the cupboard we have to do a push-up to get off the bed in the morning or off the floor or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So functional movement is, yeah. and, and a lot of people are visual learners. So if you say things to them like that and they visualize the things that they're already doing in their daily life, then it makes it easier to set aside 15, 20 minutes to an mm. hour to move their body. And even though there is scientific proof that strength training not only decreases muscle loss, but increases bone density, we could go on and on and on about all the benefits. Mm. Don't discount body weight exercises. Absolutely. Do some push-ups at home. Do some body weight squats at home. Do some crunches at home. Mm. There exercise is cumulative and they're i mean five minutes one day an hour another day it doesn't matter it all adds up exactly. so if you say i only have five minutes then use that five minutes yeah nice nicely said and also there is there are times when exercise can actually be very beneficial for example just before you eat there's a nice little trick to actually open up the muscle uh, glucose pathway. So in other words, the moment you eat something, the glucose, the, the sugar, has a, has a choice. It can either go into the muscles, um, but if the muscles are closed, doors are closed, you can't go in there. The liver says, well, I'm a bit full here, so let's make some fat out of that. Um, or you could actually just a minute or two exercise your body. 
um, do a few squats, do a few push-ups on the wall, even if you don't want to go down, just do a few push-ups, do the big muscle groups, and suddenly your muscles are saying, whoa, we need some sugar. Oh, oh, there's lunch coming. So suddenly now all the, the glucose goes from the blood into the muscles, where it is well, where it was just used up. And better less weight gain. So nice little tricks. And that's two minutes. Do you have two minutes before you go to lunch? Yes, you have. I betcha. Do you get up from your desk chair to go somewhere if you're in, a, in an office job to pick up some papers from the printer? Yeah, sure. So uh, sit, get up, sit back down, get up, then get the paper. So you've done two squats there just like that. There's so much. We can do so much if we accept it as a new way of life. And I think that is that is the, the problem. Sedentary is a, is a problem in a, in the mind. It's a problem of yes. habits. And I guess that's where a coach like you comes in to actually guides people uh, to um, into a different life. Is, uh, do well, I, I have my people, are you going to keep telling yourself the same story? Uh, because we 99% of the time get in our own way. Hmm. And I can vouch for that. I used to do that all the time. And I really, and I just wrote a blog about this because I really don't like, oh, you're just making excuses. You're just making an excuse because to me, it's my reality. And I believe it with my whole heart that I don't have time, that I have to do this, that I have to do that instead of exercise. So when I make it about my choice and something that I want to do, as opposed yep. to something I have to try to fit in my day, yep. it becomes a no brainer. I worked out right before our podcast. I'm like, I have an hour and a half. Let's do this. You know, because I want to feel good. I want to live my latter part of my life at home with my boyfriend in Greenville. I don't want to live it. I don't want to be in a hospital room. Yeah. I don't want to be going to doctor's appointments. I want longevity. And I have to supply that for myself. Nice. And it's a privilege of choice. You choose that life. And that is, I think, the key thing. We all have got the same amount of seconds in the day. It's just that, that people like us who have gone through uh, some challenges um, are now living far more intentional and mm -hmm. living far more in on a path where we say, actually, we are the drivers of that car. We decide where we are going, which path we are taking, where we turn off that road, because we actually realize mm, that road is not the most clever road to take. And I mm -hmm. think that's that's where you do. That's where you are fundamental, because you take action. You literally take action. In the case of exercise, there you are. You live it. You take action because you cook. You take action because you learn about your body. And that is beautiful. I think that is really what comes out in the donut diaries. Um, that is you're you're again and again, uh, you're not reinventing yourself. You're trying to find yourself. I think that is that is that is the better way of putting it. Yes, you used mm -hmm. all of those diets, but ultimately uh nothing really worked because you had not found yourself. I think that is is that fair to say? I would say more than fair. Oh, but is it so easy? I mean, it's, it's so hard here. You, if you, if you're this 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 woman who is struggling in daily life, and where do you start? 
you have to start at the beginning. You have to start at whatever trauma that formulated these thoughts and feelings that you have every day. And when you said it's hard, yeah, it's hard as shit because there's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of tears. There's going to be maybe some anger because you've been storing all that inside your body for decades. And until you recognize that you have to clean up your own past, then you're going to keep stuffing and keep stuffing and Mm. keep stuffing. Mm. And you're going to carry it throughout your entire life. And if you really choose that you want to be happy, Mm. it only takes a moment to let something go. It's beautiful. But there are so many things in our lives. I mean, in your case, that story of pain and that story of, of, feeling bad and being made feel bad uh, being made but now my english is leaving me um that other people <laughs> i think the reality is the, that there were many times when you cringe looking backwards because of the way other people maybe made you feel so there was trauma coming from the outside not just what your own mind told you um my educated guess is that you don't just have one breakthrough and all of that suddenly washes away. I think this is a, this is a journey that that you go on and I'm still healing. And in all fairness, the last two, three years have put so much new trauma on on into my life that I have to say, oh boy, when will it stop? So trauma comes in layers. I think healing comes mm-hmm. in layers. And I think that's the, the only thing, the only the only thing I really want to add. Guys, this is a this is a journey. You can't tackle it all today and expect amazing results. Try that and you set yourself up to fail. But if you make the commitment that every day you make a little change, there is a cumulative interest um, where very soon after a week, after a month, after a year, you find tremendous changes. No, that's. I would add that as long as you don't put stipulations on your healing journey, whether it be time, whether it be how quickly it happens, I think if you just trust the process, yeah. that that's what I meant by you can get through it pretty quickly. Because some of our traumas are just literally stories that we keep telling ourselves over and over again. And so the minute you choose to tell yourself a different story, that's when things start to open up. But Mm. I totally agree with you. I mean, I really became very hyper aware of my anxiety during the pandemic. I had no idea how much I had it living in New York City because I was always stimulated. And then I go into like my apartment and I never see anybody. And then I go back out into the world and all that stimulus was very (laughs) overwhelming. So you're right. You're right. Trauma comes in layers. Healing comes in layers. But I think when you create a good foundation of how you deal with things, that's the difference is. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. If people want to know more about you, where can they find you? They can find me right here in Greenville, South Carolina, <laughs> or they can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram under Rachel Lavin Wellness. 
My book is on amazon.com and I have a beautiful website and it's Rachel Levin Wellness as well. Beautiful. Guys, look down there into the uh, the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because you get all of it, her information down there. Rachel, it was interesting to read your book. Uh, I reflected a lot on my own experiences when I I, I read it. And whilst I'm, I'm a boy um, and certain things did not apply, the feelings surrounding food my own eating behaviors, my own history with diets and and uh, my own journey in life. There are many similarities. And I think a lot of the, the, the readers, future readers, now viewers of my show, uh, will will figure that out as well. It's a great book. Um, very interesting, very thought-provoking. So I, I truly, truly enjoyed reading that. Well, thank you so much for all your kind words. I really do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I hope the takeaway was that you know now that you're never alone, that you weren't alone and uh, never will. Excellent. Oh, what a beautiful closure. <laughs> and that that is so beautiful. There is hope. And that's exactly what this show is all about. That's exactly what we both are all about. There is hope. And there will be new challenges every single day. But let's build up the resilience. Let's start looking ourselves, looking after ourselves, and actually live with passion and really mean that. Now that's wonderful, guys out there. Look after yourself, and you, Rachel. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank you for having me. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.